What's up, man? It's Craig Smith, the Rhino, former NBA player, NBC legend. Shout out. Shout out. What's your ones look like? No, I just playing. Hope you're staying well, staying safe, and staying blessed. Rhino out. Losing the ball. Smith has it. Hudson. Bounce pass to Craig Smith. Puts it down. Who's afraid of that big bad wolf? Metal World Peace Pipe. What's going down? It's the big baller, baby. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to the halftime community from the big baller himself. That's right. You guys keep it right and take, keep doing your thing. Because Big Baller Brand is in the building. And you know how we get down. But anyways, y'all do y'all thing. And we going to do our thing. Because Big Baller's got to stick together. Again, shout out to the halftime community. That's right. Big ballers out, baby. And uh holla. And welcome into another episode of the Halftime Community Podcast. Let's get started. Let's get straight into it. I want to sound the alarm right now. I think we got a rat. I think we got a mole inside the Halftime Community. Because I'm seeing a lot of talk of the Minnesota Timberwolves on The Ringer, on ESPN, all these different basketball podcasts. A lot of talk about the Timberwolves. And I really think we started this. About a week ago, there were a few posts about how the Minnesota Timberwolves are looking moving forward, even before Ryan Saunders was fired. So keep an eye on that. We've got a rat. We've got a mole inside our organization, and we need to smoke them out. Now, let's go around the league. Let's start out with two of the big market teams. We've got the LA Lakers and the Boston Celtics, both struggling recently. Having injuries on the team, that is a caveat before we freak out too much here, but the panic button is in sight. Don't push it yet, but it's definitely in sight. Let's start off in the West. Um, We've got Utah at the top. We've got the Clippers and the Lakers expected to finish slightly below them. Also, we've got the Dallas Mavericks creeping up at 500 right now. The Warriors three games above 500, so those are just some teams to look out for moving forward. And in the East, it's anybody's game right now, except you Pistons. I'm looking at you Pistons fans, not you. Anybody except you can have it. The East is up for grabs right now. Brooklyn Nets at the top, of course. We've got the Philadelphia 76ers. They look strong as well. Toronto Raptors creeping up there, um, back to their Toronto Raptors form. And then you've got the Wizards, who have snuck back into the playoff conversation. Chicago Bulls looking nice. It really just takes a couple games, and I said that from the beginning of the season in the East. It only takes a five-game stretch or a four- or five-game win streak to be right back in playoff contention. Of course, I can't leave out the Milwaukee Bucks. They've looked nice as well. Uh, Regular season monsters, as always, struggled here and there, but I would expect them to gain form in the regular season. But when it comes to playoff time, I'm just not sure yet. I'm not convinced they've made enough changes. They're running the offense the same way as they did the previous years, that they're going to have enough and have what it takes to make the finals. Miami Heat, they've looked nice recently too. They're getting more healthy, so look out for the Heat. And then you've got the New York Basketball Knicks. The New York Knicks. I couldn't leave them out. One of my favorite teams to watch in the league. They're really gritty. Julius Randle leading the way for them. R.J. Barrett's looked strong at points this year, bringing the young guys along as well as adding Derrick Rose to the mix. They could be a top five finisher in the East, maybe top four, so they could be a strong contender in the playoffs. That brings me naturally to the Brooklyn Nets, the big three, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. 
I know Knicks fans, 76ers fans, you don't want to admit it, but you know you're having nightmares about the Knicks right now. There's a lot of buyout pieces that could be falling. Maybe a P.J. Tucker, maybe a DeMarcus Cousins, maybe a Andre Drummond type. I'm not saying you should be in full-blown night terror mode right now, but it should be keeping you up at night a little bit. Jordan the rebound, Harden, the Eastern Conference Player of the Week, muscling in, kicking out, Irving, Cuddix. All right, well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. I've got Brian Ott with me again. Um, if you caught the first ever episode of the Halftime Community Podcast, he was my first guest, so we're circling back around to Brian. Um, if you don't remember, he's a huge fan of the Dallas Mavericks, so I'm going to jump right into it. The Mavs? They're on a little bit of a tear here. They climbed back to 500, um, which if the season ended today, it'd be good enough for ninth in the West, so they'd be in that play-in tournament. How do you feel about how the Mavs are playing now? Are they starting to find a rhythm? Um, I think they definitely are starting to find a rhythm. You know, they got a lot of bad publicity uh, probably a few weeks back when they went on a losing streak, um, had fallen well out of the playoff picture below 500, but... I was one of those people that kind of sat back and realized we are barely into the season and the Mavs hadn't really got a chance to get in rhythm because none of their players got the chance to play together. They were missing a lot of guys with COVID. Um, obviously, Porzingis has been in and out of the lineup, which we knew going in, so I'm not that worried about. Um, but, you know, they've actually been able to string a couple wins together here because they've had their full team together. And like you said, they're back to 500 now. Um, they are ninth in the West, which puts them in the plan if the season ended today but they also something that i was looking at this morning that i thought was kind of funny is if they were in the east they'd be fourth right now and no one would have been concerned at all um you know that's a little bit of the discrepancy between the two conferences but regardless i do think that they're kind of hitting their stride now um you know luca admitted that he came into the season not quite in game shape he thought it was going to start a little bit later he's back to where he needs to be right now. And, you know, you saw the other night versus the Celtics, he just took over late in games. And if we have a guy like that that can win us a ball game, um, I like where we're at moving forward. Yeah, and you mentioned, uh, we're going to talk about Luka in a minute here, but you mentioned uh, Chris Stapp's Porzingis. There were some rumors. I didn't really believe them. They didn't make much sense from the Dallas Mavericks end of things about, you know, possibly – um, dangling him on the trade market, talking to Golden State. What do you make of that? It doesn't. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't make much sense to me from the Mavericks' point of view, as what they would get back just isn't worth what they're giving away in Porzingis, even though he's been injured. Yeah, I um I fully agree with you. I one I don't think that they actually will trade Porzingis. I think maybe they were doing a little sniffing around, kind of due diligence, but I don't think they can get back equal value for him. Um and there's no point of selling him for 50 cents on the dollar when any team that's acquiring him is acquiring him thinking he's going to be exactly what we as Mavs fans want him to be. So I think you're better off um, kind of waiting around. You know, he was always going to be an injury question mark, but we knew that when we made the deal. And guess what? He's still averaging 20 points a game this year, even though he missed the first 10 games, had to get in rhythm after that, has had some back tightness here and there where he's missed a game or two. But None of this really matters if he's healthy and playing at his best in the playoffs. Last year in the bubble, he was averaging like 30 and 10. And if he has that going into the playoffs alongside Luka, I think we're exactly where we need to be. And I think trading him now would be a mistake. Um, you know, you mentioned the Warriors as a team that 
had rumored to be interested in there. Like if we're getting back Andrew Wiggins for Kristaps Porzingis and maybe a pick or something, that is not worth it to me as a Mavs fan. That does not raise our ceiling. That lowers our ceiling. Um, we're better off rolling the dice with Porzingis, which admittedly is a dice roll. You know, you'll never know with his health if he can always uh, be ready to go. But if he is in the playoffs, I think his on-paper fit with Luka just makes way too much sense. It's kind of being the big man that can block shots and kind of be that paint protector a little bit, although he's actually been a little bit uh, below where I'd like to see him at for that currently. But, you know, to have that on defense and still be a guy that won't clog the lane for Luka on offense, I think is the ideal big man pairing for him. Um, so to me, I don't think it's worth it trying to trade him. If Golden State were to throw in Wiseman, maybe, then I could think about it, but I don't think they want to do that. I don't think the Mavs are going to get that, and I just don't think it's worth trading him at this point. I think we're better off waiting and hoping that he is the player that we want him to become playoff time when it really matters. Yeah, uh, fan bases are famous for uh, throwing out you know crappy trade pieces. I'll give you Brad Wanamaker and uh, Kavon Looney in uh, first in 2030, and you yep. give me Kristaps Porzingis. So there's a lot of those kind of trade rumors floating around. I really don't think there's too much validity to them though um what this is a bigger picture question i really saw this year as sort of a another building year for the mavericks and then their championship window that first championship window with luca i think really opens up next year when do you think um you can competitively you know be a be a top title contender for championships yeah you know i actually again viewed it the exact same way as you this was we were ahead of schedule last year with Luka being first team all NBA, leading them to the playoffs. Most people don't do that in only their second year in the league. The fact that he did put him ahead of schedule, not on schedule, in my opinion. This is the year that I'd like to see us grow a little bit more. I mean, my ideal scenario for this year would be we win our first round matchup, assuming we do make the playoffs, and then presumably probably lose to, uh, you know, one of the L.A. teams or maybe Utah in the second round. Um but I think that would be a success for this year, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think that we were ever going to be a true, true title contender this season. However, next year, I think we would be. Um, you know, you get three years of Luka in the league at that point. Hopefully he's been through two playoff experiences. Um, hopefully one of them with a fully healthy KP for most of that. And most importantly, the way that the Mavs um, salary cap is structured, this upcoming summer is their chance to go big fishing, which obviously the Mavs have had uh, trouble with in the past, but they've never had someone like Luca to to uh, entice other people to come play with him. Um, so I'm really optimistic that we will. I mean, I'm not optimistic that this will happen. We will, in fact, have the ability to get a max free agent slot this summer. Um, who that might be, we'll see, you know. Obviously, Giannis was the dream, but that's not happening. I never never really thought it would happen, but kind of got my half hopes up as Team Euro stars could all come together. But, uh, you know, there are guys that I see out there that I think could really help the Mavs. If Victor Oladipo is healthy and a free agent, I think he'd be a great fit. Um, if John Collins ends up not getting traded and potentially is just available as a free agent, I think he's someone the Mavs could look at. Um, and then even, you know, the big fish is you never know what's going to happen with Kawhi. If Kawhi decides that he's done in L.A., he has an opt-out this summer. And I think if he wants to come back to Texas, he'd be an absolutely perfect fit with this team, too. So 
you know, I'm not predicting that any of those guys are in fact going to be Mavericks, but they're going to have the ammunition to go get someone this summer. Um, we'll see who that is, but I think adding that to hopefully three years of experience for Luca, as well as hopefully uh, getting a chance to grow with KP, I think that their real championship window opens up next year. Um, and hopefully, you know, as long as as long as we keep Doncic in town, hopefully that uh, that championship window lasts almost a decade. Yeah, I think it's going to be very similar to kind of the Dirk Nowitzki timeline where you have that 10-year window where you can realistically actually be a contender as long as Luka sticks around. Um, on that Luka note, the Luka conversation, I heard a podcast with Bill Simmons and Charles Barkley was on, and he was talking about, I don't agree with everything Charles Barkley says. I don't know how much he really watches all the teams right now, as he likes to talk about. But um, he was talking about the idea that Luca reminded him a lot of MJ in those early years. Not as far as, you know, athletically and their their game styles, but MJ didn't have a lot around him those first five or six years in the league. It was all MJ all the time, you know, averaging 35 points a game. Um, obviously really impressive. But it, it wasn't until Phil Jackson came around, uh, came into town, they actually got a little bit of help around him and convinced Michael Jordan that, you know, he can get other people involved. And everything doesn't have to run through him all the time. And that's when they actually started winning. Do you see a similarity? Do you agree with Charles Barkley in that? Um, that you know, everything's Luke all the time, and rightfully so right now. But eventually he's going to have to, you know, get others involved and probably get another star in there. Yeah, and I think I do agree with that. Um, you know, Luca is the hub of the Dallas Mavericks, especially on offense, and he has one of the highest, if not the highest, usage rate in the entire league. And that's because, in most scenarios, for the Mavericks, our best play on offense is give Luca the ball and let him go to work. However, I do think for us to actually become a championship-level team, we're going to need to have other options. And even Porzingis, who I do believe can be a number two, isn't necessarily the guy you run offense through. He's more of a uh, playoff other guys in terms of, you know, he's not really a post-up player, even though he's 7'4". He's the guy that is pick and pop or is uh, spotting up and kind of maybe can shoot over people at times, but he's not the guy that's going to initiate offense as a ball handler. Um, and I do think that that's something that Luca is going to need to have alongside him in order to really um, be a true championship threat is to get someone else that can be a ball handler and facilitator and can allow Luca to rest a little bit from time to time. You know, coming into this year, we kind of thought that uh, that might be Josh Richardson's role, and it has been a little bit, but, you know, he's probably not the uh, the number two ball handler on a championship team. So I think maybe if he does stick around, maybe he'll be slid kind of into that third option, or that could be the piece that they hopefully bring in as a guy that can really take some of that pressure off Luca. Um and allow Luca to sit back and defer to someone else for a little while, I think would really help the Mavs. And like you said, um, or I guess like Charles said, it kind of does remind me to the early MJ years. You know, he's not, Luca is not stylistically that similar to Jordan in terms of the way he plays. He's much more probably magic and bird is the two comparisons he gets more, or even LeBron with less athleticism, but kind of the way he controls the game. Um, but I do agree with kind of the team construct aspect of those early Bulls teams where it's, it's too much on the one guy's plate. And in order for both that player and for the team to do even better, 
he needs to have someone else he can trust um, offensively. So I, I do agree with that. Um, who that is, again, remains to be seen. Um, I think it's potentially that that person's not on the roster right now, but could be come next year. So we'll find out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. This offseason, as you mentioned, is going to be huge for them as far as um, I think Tim Hardaway Jr. is a free agent, so they'll probably let him walk and end up replacing his spot in some capacity. Um, we talked so about I will Matt. say real quick, Yeah, I, I'm very aware that Tim Hardaway Jr. is a free agent. He's a guy that I would love for us to bring back, not necessarily at his current salary, but I don't think he's going to command his current salary. I think he was one of those guys that – when he signed his current deal, everyone was like, oh, my God, that's an overpay. I think if we can get him for half that to come back and still bring in someone else while retaining Hardaway, I think that would be great for the Mavs because I really like the way Hardaway plays off of Luka. Um, he's he's that perfect uh, just run off screens and get open threes, and he makes a lot of them. And when he's hot, he's really a weapon for us. So I would love to keep Hardaway, but we'll, we'll see what becomes available this summer. Yeah, definitely. And we talked about Tim Hardaway and then Maxi Kleba. We talked about before the season really got going. Um, are there any other role players you see kind of filling out the roster that have looked impressive to you that could actually help the team move forward? Um, you know, our coach Rick Carlisle has always had a tr- had a little bit of a trust issue when it comes to playing the young guys, but even in very very limited minutes. I have liked kind of the energy and defense that I've seen out of Josh Green, the rookie. Um, you know, he's not a part of the rotation right now, but he's also only 19 or 20 years old and already tries really hard, which is something that I look for. Already has NBA athleticism and the fact that he even gets some minutes, whereas a lot of our other rookies are not getting any minutes um, to me shows that Rick loves how much he helps us defensively. And I do think that he's someone that, Probably not next year, but I mean, probably not this year, but maybe next year gets even more time in the rotation. I actually think is another kind of uh, defensive wing that really would fit in well with what I think we want to do long term. So he's a guy I look out for. Um, You know, we have Dorian Finney-Smith has kind of always been reliable for us, but it's never really a uh, sexy name to throw out there either. But he's he's a guy that will definitely be around as well. Um, Other than that, you know, to be honest, a lot of these guys, I think, might be uh, expendable. Um, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein has gotten some time, but he hasn't really developed as much as I hoped. Uh, Josh Richardson, like I said, has kind of been that secondary ball handler. But if we can upgrade his spot, I think that's something we would look to do. And then uh, Trey Burke as well was kind of a guy that was super hot at some point during the bubble. But, um, you know, he's just not that consistent, and I, I don't think he will be around for championship window if that makes sense although actually i didn't hit on um jalen brunson who i do think is someone we keep around he has played very well this year and actually something that's impressed me with him the most is i feel like his first two years in the league he kind of struggled when he was trying to play next to luca and wasn't the primary ball handler um it kind of forced him into the backup point guard role which he still has but you know, he's not playing only when Luca's off the floor now. He's actually gotten a lot more comfortable playing alongside Luca and being that secondary ball handler at times or even being the primary and letting Luca defer to him. Um, I don't ultimately see him as the starting guard next to Luca, but I do think he's someone that the Mavs clearly like a lot and will keep around. I actually heard Carlisle on a broadcast the other day said that he thinks Brunson has improved 
um, more over two years than any player he's ever coached. So I definitely think he's a uh, coach's favorite that will stick around and be a part of the rotation. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Brunson because if you didn't, I was going to. I, I watched him his rookie year. He had he had some spurts where he looked really good in his rookie year, and then he had some spurts where he couldn't even find him on the floor if he was on the floor. And then last year, he kind of got lost in the rotation. I was glad to see him come back this year. He's on the floor a lot more, kind of finding his role, like you said. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Derek Fisher for those Lakers teams, although he doesn't play starters minutes all the time and he's not the starting point guard in name. You know, he's kind of that floor general, backup point guard type, um, can kind of do a little bit of everything, tough nose. So I think you got a good guard in Jalen Brunson. He's not going to be super expensive, obviously, and he can um, grow alongside Luka. Yeah, and he's a guy you can throw out there and just trust not to make mistakes. You know, he he might not be able to go and get you 25 on any given night, but he's not going to hurt you almost ever. So I, I think that's actually a pretty good comp, the uh, Derek Fisher. He might not quite be as good as Fish was at this point, but I like the way, the similarities in how they play in terms of they're just reliable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Mavericks, Mavericks look good, but... It kind of is what it is. This offseason is going to be huge for them. They gave away their 2021 first-round pick to the Knicks for Porzingis. So that's another reason why I think the trade just doesn't make sense because they already gave away their first-round pick. So unless they're getting something crazy back like Carl Anthony Towns, if he hits the trade market and you're able to put a package together for him or Bradley Beal, other than that, I really don't see you know a superstar trade package that works out for them. Um that really brings me to the end. Maxi Kleba, let's talk about him. You predicted big things for this guy. Uh, what what have you seen out of him? Um, well, to be honest, he's been one of the guys that's had trouble staying healthy. He had a uh, bout with COVID and actually tweaked his, I think it was his ankle the other night and is questionable again tonight after missing our last game. So he hasn't quite been uh, what I was hoping, but part of that I don't think is on him. It's just on kind of lack of minutes and consistency. However, in his time on the floor, I actually do think he's played pretty well. Um, he's shooting, what is it? I got it pulled up over here. He's shooting 45% from three, which is the best on the Mavericks. Um, he provides that outlet to, you know, hit an open three when Luca's driving and the defense collapses and he needs to kick it out. So I think he's done well there. Um, I actually would still like to see him get more time, which maybe he will once he gets a little healthier. Um, I still think he's a pretty solid defender for a uh, post player, and that's something that the Mavs kind of lack a little bit. He's not necessarily a um, like a defensive anchor that's going to be a big shot blocker, but he's really good one-on-one, which is something that I notice, um, and something that is kind of the opposite of Porzingis when he's in, where he's not that great one-on-one. He doesn't move his feet that well, but he's so freaking long that you can leave him behind and he'll still clean up and block shots. Maxie's kind of the opposite where he's great one-on-one and it's hard to get by him. Um, so I, I do think we can kind of deploy him as a defensive weapon depending on the matchup. And like I said, his his shooting has been great. So I think once he gets in a little bit more of a rhythm, which hopefully he can stay healthy, um, he's still a guy that I'm very high on and I think the Mavs are as well and we'll keep him around. Perfect. Well, with everything trending up for the Mavericks, I should ask before I let you go, where do you actually see them finishing? They're about three games, I think, behind the Warriors right now for that eighth spot. Again, there is the play-in tournament this year. I think a lot of people are forgetting that. So even the ninth and tenth team will have a 
a chance to get in the playoffs at least. Where do you see them finishing? Are they going to finish in that top seven or are they going to be eight through ten? So that's a great question. Um, I've given a lot of thought to this and I think I I don't feel like nervous that we're going to miss the playoffs altogether. I think there's a chance where we are in the plan. Um, I think that because the plan is what it's is it eight through ten or is it seven through ten this year? Didn't they change it up or? I think it might be eight through ten, but I'd have to check. Well, regardless, I I could see us in that range, but I also could see us ahead of that range. You know, we had that really bad start where people were on our case and all that. We're still at this point not even halfway through the season, and we're starting to play better ball. So if we play better ball in the second half, we have a very easy schedule down the stretch in particular. I saw our last, like, ten games um, are pretty much a cakewalk. Like, we should go at minimum seven and three on those, um, hopefully even better. So based on that, as an optimistic fan, I don't think we can get all the way up to top four or anything like that, but... I would like to see us be able to fight our way back to that five or six spot and avoid the plan. And I think that's a goal that we can set and hopefully can hit as long as we get our guys to stay healthy and find some consistency. Yeah. And then, of course, you're a, a little bit of a Nuggets fan living in Colorado as well. Jokic still your MVP? He is um, at this point. However, it's another thing where, you know, we're not even halfway through the season. So we'll see. Um his numbers have just been absolutely insane. But again, he's going to have to find some team success. The Nuggets have been a little banged up lately as well. Um, I, I don't think he's realistically going to win it unless the Nuggets get to top four or five seed, which I do think they're capable of. Um, they string some wins together. You know, those the L.A. teams are struggling a little bit right now, especially with A.D. being out. I think they could drop. As great as Utah has been, I, I don't see them dropping out of the top four, but They've also been one of the teams that's fortunate enough to stay healthy pretty much this entire year and one of the only teams to do so. So I, I'm not sure that they'll stay at this kind of record-breaking pace that they're on. Um, and then, you know, they could maybe catch the Suns. I don't know. The Suns are kind of that wild card in the top four right now for me. But I think in order for Jokic to win MVP, he's going to need to get them to at least probably fifth, if not fourth. So I think for them, his statistical production has been insane. He's carried their team. You know, Murray kind of came on the last week, but he'd been really inconsistent and, for lack of a better term, kind of bad um, up to that up to the last week or so. And Jokic was really the one carrying them. Um, so I definitely think his case is there if he gets the team success to where they need to be. Yeah, I think the Nuggets roster as it is, um, I, do, I really don't see any changes coming to that, any big changes at least. Um if it was going to happen, it was probably in the offseason or the preseason, moving Michael Porter Jr. in some kind of package for either James Harden or maybe Bradley Beal. Everybody says Beal wasn't available, but if the Nuggets would have thrown Porter Jr. and some picks together, um, I think the Wizards would have at least listened to that. So I think yeah, the roster I, is what it is. I kind of do think the roster is what it is. Beal is the one name that I still think the Nuggets have some interest in and could potentially take a swing at if he becomes available. However, I've also always been in the camp that uh, I don't think Beal's available. Just because the media tries to trade him in a new article every other week doesn't mean that both he and the Wizards have said repeatedly he's not going anywhere. I tend to believe when both the player and the organization are saying that, I tend to believe it. So I don't see him going anywhere. If he were to become available, 
I definitely think the Nuggets might make an offer there. And I actually think um, something that hasn't been talked about that much, but I think would be interesting is I'm not sure that they give up Michael Porter Jr. for Bradley Beal. I think they might give up Jamal Murray for Bradley Beal. Um, Kind of stylistically, Porter, if he hits his potential, is a perfect fit next to Jokic and potentially having another guard that's a scorer in the backcourt. Having Jamal Murray and Bradley Beal kind of redundant in terms of their roles on that team, and you're missing that forward slasher. So I think if Bradley Beal is available, big if, um, the Nuggets would be interested, and I think that Murray might be the guy that goes the other direction rather than Porter. But again, that's big if. I'd be more confident saying that they're going to stay put and see what they have. Yeah, I think that's probably the safe bet for now, but that is interesting. That would give you a Monte Morris. He could be the starting point guard, or you could just share the ball handling duties with uh, Jokic and Michael Porter running a little point forward there. Um, So that would definitely be interesting. Any other thoughts on the Nuggets before we uh, move on to your hot take here? Um. Not too much. They need to string some wins together, too. They're kind of, it's funny, both my uh, teams that I cheer for a little bit are kind of in the same boat of they've got one guy kind of carrying them, and then the rest has kind of been up and down, a little inconsistent, probably a little below where expectations were at this point. But I think both of them are in a position to, uh, you know, move ahead in the standings here after kind of weathering the storm to begin the year. Yeah, it's interesting on Jokic. I was doing a little research on uh, the Boston Celtics are in a little bit of free fall right now and all the draft picks they've kind of squandered away. I forgot. I knew Jokic slipped, but I didn't realize he was every single team passed on him and he was kind of towards the end of the second round there. So that that was really interesting to see. And now we see him in MVP form almost every year, even though he looks like he should be playing in a rec league somewhere. Yeah. You know, the the Nuggets draft record and player development record is pretty insane when you think about it. Um, Jokic obviously doing well, but basically every guy that they take into the first round, second round picks, all of these guys end up in the rotation. Their rotation is made up of guys they draft compared to a lot of other teams I see bringing people in. Um, I've been really impressed with them, and it also gives me hope that you know guys like uh, Bol Bol and um, RJ Hampton, I think maybe you're not going to see them contribute in a huge way this year, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if those guys are really productive players in a year or two and you know getting quality minutes during a Nuggets playoff run. That's something I really think could happen because of, you know, their scouting ability and ability to develop their talent. Yeah, the Nuggets have drafted so well that they don't have enough roster spots for all the guys they draft. Um, you saw yeah. Malik Beasley have to get, you know, he's in Minnesota now. He, he would obviously be great on the Nuggets, but there's just not enough floor time. And then Jeremy Grant as well. You know, he's kind of breaking out in Detroit right now. Everybody knew it was good. Everybody knew Beasley was good as well. There just wasn't enough time on the floor for all the players they drafted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's been interesting. Uh, Denver Nuggets front office definitely deserves a round of applause. Hopefully they can keep it going in the playoffs because everybody wants to see Jokic and Murray in the playoffs in the bubble if we end up going back to the bubble again. So um, before I let you go, let you off the hook here, uh, do you have a hot take for me? Uh, I don't know how hot a take this is, but I will say one thing here. My uh, preseason hot take, I remember when I was on the opening podcast, was I said that the Nets weren't going to be that good. I said, I don't trust the uh, defense. I don't trust the uh, DeAndre Jordan, Jared Allen front court. 
obviously one of those guys now departed. Um, I'm here to say right now that I've done a complete 180 on that. I think that the Nets are the team to beat right now. Um, you know, even after the Harden trade, you heard even more chirps of, oh, they don't have defense. They don't have rebounding ability, big men. You know, that might be true. It hasn't mattered. James Harden has been unbelievable in a Nets uniform. Um, I actually did a post on this the other day, how I think he should be getting talked about in the MVP discussion. Maybe not necessarily, you know, the favorite or anything like that. But I saw in a Nets uniform, I don't know if this is still true because I checked it a few days ago, but in a Nets uniform, he's leading the league in assists and shooting 50-40-90. The only player ever to do that in the same season is his coach, Steve Nash, who won MVP when he did so. Um, So I see that. I see the fact that Harden is leading the Nets to wins even when Durant has been out against good teams. You know, I saw that they were like 10-1 and against teams above 500 or something like that. I'm here to say that I was wrong preseason, and right now I'm on the Nets bandwagon. I think they are the team to beat even ahead of, um, you know, the Sixers and the Bucks in the East. And I think I would take them in a series over anyone in the West right now, too, because I don't know how you stop those three if they're all healthy and clicking, you know, late game in the playoffs. In the playoffs, I think star power matters, and they've got it over everybody. Yeah, I've I've been pretty vocal about it ever since it happened. Um, you know, the haters came out of the woodwork as soon as James Harden got traded there. I'm a huge I'm not a huge fan of James Harden off the court per se, but on the court, I just think he's so transcendent offensively. He's just so a lot like Luke actually, so in control of the game all the time. Um, you know, he controls everything, makes it look kind of effortless. And But then before you know it, he's got 30 points and 11 assists. Yeah, you know, when he was on Houston and Houston being somewhat of a rival of the Mavericks, I found it in my soul to hate him, and I just couldn't couldn't stand the guy. I was like, you know what, we got to beat him. I can't believe they keep beating us. He shouldn't win MVP, all that stuff. Now that he's off Houston, I've just enjoyed him as a player. Like, he is just special offensively, and – He's really opened my eyes with how freaking good he is, um, especially what he's done in Brooklyn with all the flaws that that team does still have that they've pointed out. But, you know, I think some of that will be addressed. I think if and when uh, there's some more buyout guys, the Nets are going to be a very attractive destination, especially for a big man, potentially. Um, I don't I'm not sure if Cousins will go there. That's something that I think is an option out there. If Drummond doesn't get traded and gets bought out, I think he's definitely an option. And I think that they're going to patch some of their uh, perceived flaws between now and the playoffs and get back to having their big three healthy. Man, they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah, you mentioned the playoffs. Uh, what immediately comes to mind for me I was is watching the Bucks in the playoffs the past couple years. They had Giannis and they had Chris Middleton. And down the stretch, it was like, Giannis was completely, you know, everybody just formed a wall around him. So give the ball to Middleton and have him do something. You know, the Nets have literally James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. You can't just build a wall around one of them and expect to stop them. Absolutely. I mean, all due respect to Chris Middleton, he's a great player. All three of the guys you just named on the the Nets are better than him, especially with the ball in their hands late game uh, situation. And that's just something I, I see being very, very hard to beat um, come postseason. Yeah, we will definitely see. This is going to get the, the Knicks fans on the app riled up. I know. And the <laughs> Sixers fans as well. They're very, they're very vocal fan bases about how the Nets aren't going to win, but we'll see. I think the Sixers fans already hate me because I always say Jokic should be MVP over Embiid, but 
I do always say that I freaking love Ben Simmons and he should be defensive player of the year. So it's nothing against the Sixers, but I feel like their fans are already on me. So maybe if they're on me a little more for uh, like in Brooklyn, so be it. Yeah, it, it is what it is. Well, I thank you for joining me again. Um, this was great. Doncic down to three seconds, two seconds. Doncic for the win. Oh, yeah. Luka Doncic, the dagger. That'll do it for this episode of the Halftime Community Podcast. Before we go, though, I want to introduce a new segment, a mailbag segment that we're going to start doing every so often when we get some questions coming in via the app. I did have one um, from Too Many Too Mons. Shout out, that's the username on the Halftime app. Uh, he asked, should the Magic trade Vucevic? And my answer, as sad as it is for Magic fans to see him go, is yes. It's just that team has been cursed from the jump. They keep drafting these pterodactyl wings with really long arms that can play 3 and D supposedly, but they're all super fragile. So they just need to hit the reset button. They've got Markel Fultz hopefully coming back next year. We'll see what they have in Mo Bamba. Jonathan Isaac hopefully coming back next year and build from there. But Vucevic, he's, he's done his service. Salute to him in Orlando, but it's time for him to move on. But before I officially let you all off the hook, if you've listened to the Halftime Community Podcast before you know the deal, you know what it is. At the end of every episode, we got to get into it. We got to settle the debate. Who is the greatest of all time? Who's the GOAT? You've got Michael Jordan. You've got your usual suspects. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a.k.a. Lou Alcindor, Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell. He's got 11 rings. You got to think about him. And then we inserted John Wall into that conversation earlier this year. Greatest shot-blocking point guard of all time. Who are we going to add to that list? Let's see. All-star selections. Trey Young got left out, so he's obviously out of the GOAT debate. I want to insert a new name into the conversation. The question was posed on the Halftime app today. Who is the fastest player of all time in NBA history? And I'm going to insert Speedy Claxton in name only. I don't really know how fast he was on the court. They weren't tracking things like that back then. But in name only, Speedy Claxton, put him in the GOAT debate. So without further ado, let's settle this. Let's look at the stats. Let's break down the film. Who is the greatest of all time? Starting with the obvious one. Nope. That's the outro music, folks. Hate to do it to you. Leave you on the cliffhanger, but we gotta go. We'll get into this next episode. See y'all later.